Good morning, beloved Orangewood. How's everybody this morning? All right. How many of you are loving the cold stuff? How many of you are saying, thank God it's finally here. We can wear jackets we wear once a year. If I wore this in July, I'd pass out. Uh, how many of you are like, oh, I hate it. I live in Florida because I love the warm. How many of you are like, this stuff's nasty. Man, you are excited to say, yeah, that's me. I hate the cold stuff. Well, I, I love it. I, mean, I was out yesterday getting ready for today and sitting out in the cool weather. I thought, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite my family out. Let's, we're going to have a fire pit tonight. It's going to be great. So I texted my family. That's how we communicate now, kind of text, right? And, and say, hey, fire pit night. Let's get together. This will be great. I'm, I'm picturing maybe some mores, hot dogs, something by the fire. The night comes. I get a great fire started. Where's my family? They're inside. I mean, Katie looked out one time. Like, hey, out there, you all right? <laughs> True Floridians, born and raised, I'm telling you. But anyway, no matter uh, cold or warm, it's just great, whatever season, to be worshiping our great God with you. I, I, let me give you one little uh, image, biblical image, to appreciate whatever season we find ourselves in. Way back in the book of Genesis, we're told about a story of Noah and a story of a flood. And a story of God's wrath on the people that were so rebellious, uh, so, so sinful, a lot like us. And God provided and showed his grace through Noah. And at the end of that, that time, terrible time, God made a promise. And he made a promise with a rainbow. But he made a promise of this. He says, I'm not going to do that again. And what you're going to have is you're going to have seasons. Uh, you're going to have different seasons. And they're going to be reminding you that, that I'm faithful. That as the season turns, I don't. And as things change, I don't. And great is going to be my faithfulness. So if you're not into the cold weather, can you just maybe see this as even a part of God's blessing and the, his, his faithfulness to us, all right? Not bad, pretty good, taking that to God's blessing in biblical ways, right? All right, well, we'll, we'll see. Well, let's, uh, let's go before our great God, ask him to come and, and speak to us today. Did you hear that song just sung? Wasn't that amazing? I'm going to pray that song. Let's, let's pray. God, because... You love us because you've made us and because you've made us in your image. Would you come and meet us, King Jesus? Would you come into this temple, oh God? Would you come and would you mend our hearts? For if all we have are songs, unless you come, come, awaken inside of us, tune our hearts to hear from you. Come and be our vision. Come, come in a way that, that you are the death of, of me, this preacher. And we can see clearly, Jesus, come and free us. Come and free us, King Jesus, with only the freedom you've given, you can give. You're already here. You've already made that promise. But come be with us in power, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. For many of you, tomorrow you have a day off. How many of y'all have a day off tomorrow? You're excited about it, aren't you? You got a day off. Why do you have a day off? Because one man had a dream. Because one man had an amazingly unique dream. Many of you, tomorrow, you are going to have a day off. We call this a long weekend as we celebrate the Martin Luther King weekend. Now, I got to tell you, I got to be honest, this is kind of group confession here. I'm not big into three-day weekends. Three-day weekends and having Monday off. Why? Because I'm selfish and Monday's my day off. 
And now all you all are going to be celebrating my day off with me. And I do love people. But on Monday, it's good to go to movie theaters that are mostly empty, restaurants that are mostly empty, and have our day on Monday. So the rest of you all, thank you for coming and sharing a day off with me. Well, really, where does this day off start? It was way back in August, uh, August 28th, 1963. How many of you were alive then? Don't raise your hands. Don't give it away. Let me just say I wasn't. But I, really, it's true. Don't, I wasn't. Susan, really? Not till 65. All right. It was August 28th, 1963. It was on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. It was there a gathering, uh, a rally, where Martin Luther King was going to give uh, a speech that would change the nation. He would give a, a speech that we now know as, uh, I have a dream. And I think that we could say it's a dream of biblical proportions. No matter what you think about the man, it really was. It's a dream, it was a dream that would seemingly, listen, seemingly change the course of our nation's history. It was in the 60s. It was during the midst of a, a country raging with racial strife and tension that Martin Luther King would deliver a speech that said he had a dream, a dream that someday little black girls and boys would hold hands with little white boys and girls. He said he had a dream, and in his dream it included that the sons of slave owners would one day sit down with the sons of slaves, and they would sit at a table in brotherhood. He said he had a dream, a dream where justice rolls like waters and righteousness like a uh, mighty stream. He quoted the Bible. That's the image of Amos, Amos 5, 14. He said he had a dream, and listen to what that dream would include. A dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain should be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. As he quoted Isaiah 40, 4 and 5. Amazing thing happened. Martin Luther King called the people into a greater story than their current reality. He did it. He said, we can look around us and see a reality, but there's, 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 there's something better. There's something more. And, and King used biblical imagery, and he painted a picture of what could be. He painted a picture of what should be. Today, as we continue in our study in the book of Acts, we're going to focus on Philip's story. Philip was not a dreamer. It's not that he had a dream. Instead of having a dream, Philip had news. Philip was called by God to proclaim good news. Not a dream, but good news. Good news that God is with us and God is for us. Uh, this is Philip. It's different than the, the Philip we find in the gospel accounts that was an apostle, a disciple of Jesus. This is Philip that we found in the book of Acts. It's a deacon. He will be referred to as an evangelist. But it's Philip. And here's what we need to know about Philip. Philip embraced Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Philip embraced the good news of God's story that Christ has come. And in Philip, we will see that God's good news, amazingly, God's good news, you got to hear this, God's good news triumphs even over our broken and bad situations. 
We find in Philip how God often scatters his joy. God scatters his joy and his reality through you and through me. I mean, God scatters his presence and his story through God's people. And the incredible thing about our gracious, sovereign, good God is that he often scatters his joy through our brokenness. For our dreams that have been shattered from the reality in which we live. Philip lived his life in God's unfailing story and will be called to do the same. Philip was an ordinary man like you or an ordinary woman. He was just ordinary. But he was more. He was an ordinary man telling God's extraordinary story. And that's the call in all of our lives. Ordinary men and women living and telling God's extraordinary story. And Philip, although he was persecuted in his hometown, and he finds himself in a God-forsaken place called Samaria, or at least what people thought was God-forsaken, he is used by God to start a joy revival, a city filled with joy, the joy that comes from the good news that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. So let's look to this story. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week in Acts chapter 8. We're going to look at Acts 8, 1 through 8. As we jump into the story, it's going to sound like we were in the middle of the story. We are. And if you were here last week, we looked at the story of Stephen. Uh, Stephen, the first martyr, and an amazing story that he had that, that Stephen, by God's grace, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with power, filled with wisdom, filled with knowledge. This Stephen, who will, who will be able to see Jesus rightly as the promise of the Bible, as the hope of the Bible, as the goal of the Bible, as, as God's own Son and Savior, will see Stephen, who will be a witness, a martyr, a uh, even giving his life to testify of the story of Jesus and his death and what results in his death. So let's read God's word as we find it in Luke 8. We will read today together verses 1 through 8. You may want to keep chapter 8 open. I'm going to refer to a couple of verses here. But let's be mindful, although Luke wrote this a long time ago, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And as God breathed his very being upon Luke, uh, he gave us words that are living and true. And, and this is not a story that's just to entertain you. This is a story with the authority of God that we are to submit to and live our lives under its truth for God's glory. Hear God's word in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. And Saul, who will become Paul, approved of his execution. And who was his execution? Who was executed? Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Hmm. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, that's where the church was, he, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. 
For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, would you come and be with us with such power? There, there, that joy, the joy of a resurrected Savior named Jesus may reign and rule in this church and in our hearts. And that joy would be so complete in Christ that, God, we would be able to take that joy with us when we leave into a city that desperately needs to hear good news. That, God, would you tune our ears to hear the voice of our Savior, Jesus, so we could hear His joy. Holy Spirit, would you shine your truth into our minds, illuminate your word, so that we can understand your joy. Father, would you come and, if necessary, break our hearts or create in us a clean heart. Make room for the joy of Jesus to fill our hearts. Father, may we leave here and and having been with you, would you be so powerfully with us that we would be able to walk out of here a people filled with your joy, even in the midst of our limping and our brokenness and our sorrows. Would you call us to your story? Would you call us to yourself? Would you remind us of a joy that is unfading, that is rightfully ours by your grace and faith in Christ Jesus? Father, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things be forgotten and fall away quickly. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, would you use those very things to make us like him? We pray that he and he alone receives glory, and we receive great joy and great challenge. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. There's a bulletin. In your bulletin, you'll find a, an outline if you'd like to follow along uh, with me. Uh, the first thing we're going to find is this, is, is the call of living in God's unfailing story. That there's such grace of God, that God, because he is merciful and loving, and what he has done for us through the work of his son, that, that God gives knuckleheads like us the privilege of being called not only into his story, but living his story. And this is what this means. Living in God's unfailing story gives us good news. Good news that even triumphs over our bad situations. Did we see what happened in this passage? It's an amazing passage. You basically have this. You have a tragic death. A tragic death of a man named Stephen. And again, Scripture is very clear with us to tell us that Stephen was a a powerful man. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with power. He was filled with knowledge. He was filled with grace. And yet, even those things, as he proclaimed Christ, a world would persecute him. And it was through his death that leads to a great persecution. A great persecution against the church. That that It says now that Saul, he was ravaging the church. I love it says, not just men, but, but women. It's been interesting. There's clearly a shift in the book of Acts. I mean, so far we've, we've looked at this story. And we've been told that, that God's spirit would come and it has with power. And that God would empower you and me, ordinary people, to be his witnesses, to be his storytellers, to be his martyrs. That's what the Greek word means. 
And that we're to tell his story in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so far in the book of Acts, I mean, there's been good things happening. I mean, the Lord has been adding to their, their number daily those who are being saved. We're seeing the church. They're meeting inside the temple. They're meeting in each other's homes. We're, we're seeing healings. We're seeing revival. All is good. And yet now we're going to see the death, the first martyr of Stephen in an amazing shift. And the church of Jesus Christ is going to be greatly persecuted. And greatly persecuted those who, like you, have the name of Jesus. And those like you who have, who have the grace and the audacity to say that we believe that Jesus is alive. And we believe he is who he says he is. And we believe that he's the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Just be having that belief. You were a target. And our brothers and sisters who made up the church at that time were being persecuted. Many to their very own death. And behind all of it, we see Satan. Behind every time the church is persecuted, we see the evil one wanting to stuff out good news. Wanting to take this, this crowd of crazy people who love Jesus so much that they're giving away their possessions and they're living in harmony with him. And Satan wants to destroy him. And here's the amazing thing about God's story. Do you know every time it's persecuted and destroyed, every time Satan tries to snuff us out, God uses it to spread good news. A tragic death leads to great persecution, leads to a scattering of the church, all except the apostles. We don't know why they stayed, by the way. I don't know if it was heroic or if it was wimpy. And scripture doesn't give us clarity. But what we know is they stayed behind, but there was a revival that would break out in Samaria. Here's the point. God's story can't fail. God's good news will not fail. The gospel will be proclaimed. The whole earth will be filled. This is God's story. With his glory, it's going to happen. Look at us. I mean, this happened in Jerusalem and they were trying to snuff out the early church then. But look at us, we're the ends of the earth. I mean, we gather here with good news even today. God's story cannot fail and it will not fail. And we see it being fulfilled even today. What is that story? Well, the story, there's the micro story of the book of Acts and there's a bigger bigger story. Let's look into both of those for just a moment. The Acts story is being fulfilled. The beginning of Acts is this, is that resurrected Jesus is going to empower his disciples and his church to tell good news. He says, I'm going to empower you with the Holy Spirit. And as you're empowered with the Holy Spirit, as you are uh, believing in me, you will be my witnesses. And the book of Acts is set up this way. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You'll be my witnesses in Judea. You'll be my witnesses in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's how this whole thing uh, has unfolded. And we see how God has empowered them to do this. So far in our study of Acts, it says this. It says that Jerusalem and Judea have been reached. It doesn't mean that everybody has come to Christ. But the reputation of Jesus was such. And the way that people were living was such that this good news was spreading. That everybody knew that there was a rumor out there that Jesus was alive. That he really did forgive our sins. And now the plan to reach Samaria the ends of the earth takes place. And laymen like Philip. I love it says the apostles. Those with a special anointing and special office. They, they remained in Jerusalem. But it was you. It was you who, who were called to go and take good news to Samaria. Even in the midst of severe persecution. Here's some beautiful news. God's sovereign plan doesn't fail. 
God being sovereign, which means he's ruler of all things. He controls all things. He creates all things. God Almighty, his sovereign plan will not fail. Even in the midst of executions. Even in the midst of persecutions. And here's the mystery. Holy God, who's in control of all things, even uses, even uses executions and persecutions to tell his story and to make sure that story will never fail. Any attempt to stamp out the good news of Christ will fail. Not only is the act story being fulfilled, and it's amazing how God does it through persecution, but there's a bigger story, the story of the Bible. The Bible story is being fulfilled from Genesis to Revelation. God has told us he's created this earth to be filled with his glory. From Genesis to Revelation, it says, although we failed and although we rebelled, God will provide one to make all things new and restore all that was broken. And amazingly, we see what's happening in the story is that God's plan is coming to fruition. Even in Samaria. Samaria is an odd place. Samaria is an odd place. When God's people had a, had, had a civil war and the north and south broke away and, and there was not one good king in the north, Samaria became the place, uh, the center of that northern kingdom. And in 722, when, this, when the city was sacked by the Assyrians, something amazing happened to Assyria. They, they removed God's people and they kind of backfilled it with a bunch of different people. And, and Samaria became a place that's kind of Jewish, kind of not. Uh, kind of believe in, in, in Torah, kind of not. Uh, Samaria was a place that uh, built their own temple. <laughs> they wanted their own temple, and by the time it came to dedication, guess who they dedicated it to? Zeus. So Samaria is not a place, as a matter of fact, in Jesus' day, there was a, there, the rabbis would say, you don't talk to Samaritans. They're, they're hybrids. They're, they're weirdos. They're, they're half-breeds. You don't go there. And yet, the good news of the Bible is this. There's not a place that we're not going to go with good news that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. And the good news of the Bible and, and a story like Ezekiel 37, a prophet of Ezekiel talks about a valley of dry bones that will come to life because of the good news of the Bible, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even there, there's going to be a uniting of north and south. Even, even all things that were broken are going to be mended with Jesus Christ. And Samaria is going to hear the good news. Here's the point. The book of Acts is being fulfilled by God's grace. And the story of the Bible is being fulfilled by God's grace. And here's the point to you. God's plan can't fail. Don't forget, good news triumphs. His good news triumphs over their bad situation. I can't get over it. Let's make this personal. I can't get over Philip. Because guys like Saul... Uh, unconverted Saul were ravaging the church and they were persecuting the church in Jerusalem. And here's Philip's life. Now, don't put yourself in his sandals. Everything that Philip worked for, everything that Philip invested in Jerusalem was gone. Every routine, every routine that he had, as he woke up in the morning and went to Starbucks and got his falafel, everything, his bed, everything that was comfortable, everything about Philip's story was ruined. Everything was persecuted. Everything was changed. And he's brought to a place called Samaria. And listen, as a Jew, even a Hellenist Jew, he knows that's kind of a nasty place. And as, as Philip went, as Philip went, because they were persecuted, he went, you ready for this? He went with good news. He had something to proclaim. 
He had to proclaim that Christ was alive and he was well. How in the world did he have a pity party? What would you do if you were in this Samaria? What would you do if everything you knew right now, all the comfort of your life, everything you were building for, building for everything that you knew was right, and your own dreams, and your own life was gone. And God says, I'm going to place you in Samaria. I, I think I might find the local pub on the corner in Samaria somewhere and self-medicate. But he's got, but we see Philip says, I got something better. Because I believe Jesus is alive and I believe he's the Messiah. And I believe that, that, that God's called me into a story that can't fail. A story that, that ultimately I'm going to see Jesus face to face. And just lives his life in the, in the beauty and the reality. It's amazing. Not, not only does he show up with good news, it's amazing. It's so good he's, who he shares it with. <laughs> These are Samaritans. They're not supposed to talk to him. He's so giddy about Jesus. And all you have, my, my whole situation is all gone. Everything, everything up destroyed, ravaged. But I got to tell you about this Jesus. Man, can he save and forgive? I got to tell you about Jesus, what he's done for me. I'm so free. I'm so alive. I'm even share it with Samaritans. Not only do we see that God's sovereign plan don't fail. Listen, that's got to give you hope. God's plan won't fail. Your plans will. God's story will not fail. Yours is. His story doesn't fail. You live your life either in your crumbling story or his unfailing story. That's the only chances we have. And the only way we're going to have a joy that's untouchable is saying that I'm living his story. His story ends well. Not only do we see that, but God uses ordinary people telling God's extraordinary story. That's the, that's the story. Living in God's unfailing story like Philip. Ordinary people like Philip telling God's extraordinary story just by living their life. This is ordinary men and women like you. And all, they were, all he was doing was telling good news. I love it. It says everywhere they went, <laughs> everywhere God scattered them. And you got to know, you may think you're determining your plans and putting your schedule together and where you're going to move and what you're going to do, but there's a God who reigns over all of it. And he reigns over it all, but he wants, this is, how, this is how God tells his story. This is how God fills the earth with his glory. He uses you, and he uses me, ordinary, ordinary, to tell his extraordinary story wherever we go, and to live our lives in the reality that good news has come. We really are his, and we really are forgiven. And we live our lives telling that story in word and deed. Well, what was the story? What was the story that he was living under? What is this good news? It says, that's what he came to proclaim. I see that we see it in verse eight. He says this, the story is, is that Jesus is the Christ. Here's the good news. The story is that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He really is the Lord's anointed one. He really is God's unique, only begotten son. He really is the savior of the world. Proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ and because he now lives, he's conquered death. And because he now lives, our sins have really been forgiven. And the story he was living is that Jesus was and is and forever will be the anointed of the Father, the Christ, the way, the truth, the life. What did he preach? What was the good news? Well, in verse 12, if you have that there in chapter 8, he also preached this, that the kingdom was at hand. But when they preached, when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. 
He preached that God's, God's kingdom had started. That Jesus brought a whole new way of living and a whole new way of thinking, a new realm, a, a kingdom that is here on earth has started. And now we live in, in submission to the values of that kingdom. And we live to advance it. And now we live in the reality that, that Jesus really is our, our, our king. And we're to submit to him and live our, our lives in submission to him. That Jesus really is our king. And his kingdom has come. And now we, ordinary people, live on mission for him to tell his story. What was the story of good news? Acts 8.35 says this. Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. In one word. He had a story. It was God's story. His story was annihilated. His dreams shattered. And yet he had good news to tell. And the good news was that of Jesus. And the news of Jesus trumped everything that was bad and broken in his life. It was an ordinary man telling God's extraordinary story of redemption and forgiveness and life. In Christ Jesus. And in by doing that, and by living in God's unfailing story, and uh, by uh, uh, being ordinary people proclaiming good news, we bring joy into the city. Bringing God's joy. I love what Philip did. Philip was a deacon. He had to have a heart for mercy ministry. Philip brought salvation and healing into the city. And that produced great joy. Philip had a a ministry that that was in line with both what he said and what he did. And church, this is what we need to be engaged in. Philip moved to everything that was broken. He moved into areas where there was spiritual poverty, we got to go there. Where there's physical brokenness, we got to go there. Where there's there's evil and oppression, we got to go there. Church, we are, that's where our calling is. We're called to be the light of the world. We're called to be a city on a hill. We're called to go to dark places. Listen, we are the ones who dispense joy. We're the ones, ordinary people dispensing joy, living out God's extraordinary story. And we just bring joy by moving into the places of brokenness. Say, I I can't personally fix this, but I'll journey with you. And I got to tell you some really good news is that even in the midst of this, we can be a part of God's story. Even in the midst of this, He's making all things new. Even in the midst of this, we can have joy. Joy that only comes from the Father. Joy that comes from being beloved, even in the midst of this. Do you know that we as Christians have a joy that covers our past? Do you know that it's true in Christ Jesus, if you're his? Do you know if you're Jesus's, your sins have been separated from you as far as the east is from the west? Do you know if you're in Christ Jesus, you are an adopted son of the holy God? We have a joy that covers our past. We have a joy that empowers our present. We have a joy that guarantees our future. You see, it's incredible. Martin Luther King had a dream. And that dream produced an amazing change. But God has given us more than a dream. Ready for this? God has given us a promise. And God's unfailing story ends extremely well. It ends with a New heavens and new earth. It ends with us seeing him face to face. It ends with no more cancer and no more divorce and and no more tears and no more sorrow. God's story, his unfailing story ends really, really well. 
Listen to the end of the story. What Isaiah would write 700 years ago is echoed or, or reinforced in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And for those of us who are Christ, this is our story. And for the first heaven and the first earth, it passed away and the, new, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, listen, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Our story ends marvelously well. And it's God's unfailing story. You know, one of the things I love most about Martin Luther King's speech is that he called his people back to their current reality. He says, I got a dream, and I got a dream that is a whole different reality. But here's what you got to do. Go back to South Carolina. Go back to Alabama. Go back to Louisiana. Go back to Georgia. Go back to the slums of New York City, but bring the good news with you. The good news that there's change that's coming. And here's the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go back to your reality. No one's ravaging us like they ravaged the church in Jerusalem, but go back to the, the brokenness of your reality. Go back. You're going to leave here right now, but don't go in your story. Don't go in your power and strength. Go back to your reality, not with a dream, but with a promise that God is calling us to his story. And wants us to use us to do extraordinary things. And to bring joy wherever we go. Whose story are you living in? We have in Jesus good news that can't fail. Let's pray. Father, we're so hurting. We're so broken. And I thank you for what the Holy Spirit and the gospel did through a man like Philip. Because he is a lot like us, ordinary. And because he was, by your grace, crazy enough to proclaim your son as Savior, he was persecuted and ravaged. And everything he had built was destroyed in a place called Jerusalem. And he was sent to a Many people would say a God-forsaken place called Samaria. And as he went, he had good news that trumped the darkness and the brokenness of his life. God, we can't do that unless we're called into your story. We can't live that unless we live your story above our story. We can't do that unless we just come to you and just say, this life's about you, Jesus. It's about you. And your story ends marvelously well. And, and your story is empowered right now that God is with us. God, give us the grace. Please, just give us the insight to, to jettison what we think are our own stories. To, to no longer be brokenhearted over the things that are lost that can't stay anyway. And it will never last. God, call your people into your story. God, remind your people 
that it's ordinary people just living their lives in the gospel that you do extraordinary things through. God, give us the joy. Give us the joy that comes from knowing Jesus. Give us the joy that knows that our sins are forgiven. Give us the joy that knows that that we're going to make it home. And everything that was broken is going to be undone. And everything that hurts will be taken away. And everything that causes us to weep will cease. And you will be with us, our God. And we will be your people. Call us into that story. Empower us with good news. Amen.